Amen. If y'all would uh, have a seat again, and uh, this time as you do so, uh, you might locate your Bible. It might look like this. It might look like this. Um, either way, we think it's so important here at First Methodist Church that you have an opportunity to engage with Scripture, whether it's the one you hold in your hand or when, if it's the words on the screen at just the right time. Because one thing we know is that uh, Jesus has promised to meet us in the reading of his word. And so if nothing else happens this morning uh, in, in worship or in the sermon or before or after, at least we'll have a confidence in this, that as you have engaged with scripture, you have encountered Jesus. And we're all about encountering Jesus here at First Methodist Church. That, that is our mission. And, and so we just, we, we think that's so important to have that engagement with, uh, with scripture. And, and here's something I need you to know that, that we believe about the Bible here at First Methodist Church. And it's this, that uh, we believe the Bible's inspired, eternal, and true. And uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God, eternal in scope. So even though written 2,000 plus years ago, good for you and me today and 2,000 years later. And uh, true unto salvation, that God didn't miss anything in here, that everything he wanted to say and needed to say for your salvation is right here in this biblical library, we, in this library we call the Bible. And so out of that conviction that we believe that the Bible's inspired, eternal, and true, I've taken to the habit, and many of you join me, and you're invited to do that too this morning, of holding it up on Sunday mornings when we come to talk about it. I know this is kind of strange, it looks strange, and if you're, if you're visiting, you're like, that's kind of odd, but, um, well, we, we claim it. Actually, we, I recognize, this is odd. <laughs> but what I've discovered is that this is a moment of oddity that has the power to shape the identity of our community as we seek to be a collection of people joyfully abandoned to his word and eager for his power to be let loose in our lives and our community and desperate for an encounter with Jesus this morning. Amen. And so before I say anything else, why don't we pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words would open them up as we receive them this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this powerful word that is to come from you and from your word in scripture. We pray that it lands on tender hearts and ready minds, that it's not just a lesson to learn, but it's a way of living that you give to us this morning, that what happens here changes the people out there and us as a result. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the third week in this worship series we've been calling Belong really all about understanding your place in God's church, whatever that looks like. And we've been looking through the story of Ruth, the Old Testament story of Ruth. You can find the story of Ruth in the book of Ruth. <laughs> and, uh, and since this is the third week and we've already kind of gone through two weeks and parts of the story, I, I want to recap the story a little bit. And I, I wish I'd known Jennifer was going to do it so beautifully in the children's message, but I kind of like prepared to do it again. So we'll, we'll do it again just so we're all on the same page about what's happening with Ruth. And here's some of the back context that's really necessary to, to understand and find meaning in the story of Ruth. It's that the story of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. Ruth is a historical book in our library. It's right after the book of Judges on purpose. And the, book, the story that's told in the book of Judges, the time of the judges, we say, uh, was... Uh, very bad time in Israel's history. It was, the, they, it was the height of their disobedience. It was a disgusting time. Some of the stories in there, you read that, and that's the kind of stories people will come and say, this is in your Bible. And I'm like, yes, because we're being honest about how terrible it is when you're not obedient to God. And this is what life looks like. It looks horrible. 
And then you turn the page into the story of Ruth, and we get this beautiful contrast between the disgusting time of the judges and this beautiful story of belonging, of what it really means to belong to the people of God, what it means to be obedient and faithful, and what it means to be redeemed. And so we'll get to that redemption part in just a second. The story opens with uh, a woman. Her name's Naomi, and she's married and has two sons. There's a famine in their land, so they leave their land. They go to a foreign land called Moab, and they live there for a while. Her, her sons get married to two foreign women, Moabite women, and it comes to pass that her sons and her husband, all three of them, pass away. So now you've got these three women, uh, the matriarch of whom is in a foreign land, and they're completely disconnected in their tribal culture without a patriarch or any sons or any hope for a future, this is devastation for them. And so Naomi decides to go back home. One of her daughters-in-law decides to stay at, at her home in Moab, but the other one, her name is Ruth. And Ruth says to Naomi, you know what? I made this commitment <laughs> in being a part of this family. God has put me in this place. I'm interested in who you are and who your family is. So where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people, and so on and so forth. You've heard this probably at a wedding before. So Ruth makes that amazing commitment to love Naomi and Naomi's family, and this commitment and this choice to belong to them, too. And that was the first lesson a couple weeks ago. So they go back to Bethlehem, and now there's Naomi and Ruth. Both of these women are widows, and both of them are still disconnected from their, from the, their culture, their tribal culture, in terms of economy, social, and political uh, power or influence or anything like that. And uh, so this is still a desperate situation, but it's exceedingly desperate for, Naomi, for Ruth, who's now a foreign woman with all of those things stacked against her. So the second chapter opens up on the story with Ruth saying, well, I've got to do something. I've got to go out and get some food. And so she goes out and she gleans the, the, the harvest of a man named Boaz. And this is surprising because, remember, this is the time of the judges when the Israelite people didn't want to follow God's command. One of God's commands was allow foreigners and widows to glean from your land. But most of the people in that time wouldn't have been doing that. They were in the time of the judges, right? But Boaz stands as an exceptional person uh, with exceptional character and an exceptional quality, that he's righteous and he's obedient to God's law, and he's following and allows Ruth to glean. And so they interact and they encounter each other, and what we discover is that really both Ruth and Boaz are people of exceptional quality. They don't fit in, but actually they belong to their community precisely because they are exceptional. And we talked yesterday uh, last week about what it looks like to fit in, which is to do things that other people are doing versus what it looks like to belong, which is to lean into your exceptionality, the thing that God has made you special for. It's like a puzzle, that you are one piece of a thousand piece puzzle, and you don't look like any of the other pieces in that puzzle, you don't function like any of the other pieces in that puzzle, but you belong in that puzzle, don't you? That's what it means to choose and to lean into your exceptionality. And so I challenged you last week to think about what makes you exceptional. We're going to skip over the second half of uh, chapter 2 of Ruth and come back to that next week. I know that's a little goofy, but I think it's going to work. And we're going to go into this next major theme of the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, which is all about redemption. Because when Ruth comes back to Naomi after that long day of gleaning and harvesting where Boaz shows her kindness and, and is exceptionally kind to her, uh, Ruth, uh, I'm sorry, I always get the names mixed up here, so I'm trying hard. Naomi, the mother, realizes that Boaz is a 
what they call a kinsman redeemer. He's a, he's a person in their family who's meant to redeem. And so let me introduce you to what kinsman redeemer means because that's actually a technical term that's being used there. It's a, it's a legal term in tribal culture. And redemption is one of those words that uh, one of my favorite teachers from, from seminary would call it biblish. Uh, it's a word that we've used in English so often, but really kind of sucked the meaning out of it. And no one can really say, well, what does that mean? And, and here's the truth about the word redemption and the concept redemption. It's not a biblical idea. It actually predates the Bible. It predates your Old Testament Bible. It predates all of that because it's a tribal culture, cultural law term. And what it means is that in a situation in a tribal culture, if they lost land or had to sell it, which they weren't supposed to do if they were Israelites, or if they lost a person that was maybe taken captive after a conflict, or if someone stole from them, a redeemer would be the person who would go to that situation, they'd slam their checkbook down on the counter and say, how much? How much is it going to take to get that land back? What's it going to take to get that person back? What's it going to take to get my stuff back? I'm here because I need my family's stuff back. You see what I mean? A redeemer is someone who goes and redeems the stuff. He makes the situation right. Even to the end that a, re a family redeemer, a kin kinsman redeemer, will lay down his own life, his own stuff, even though it's not that family's. He'll lay down his own family's stuff in order to redeem this family. That's what a kinsman redeemer does. And Naomi realizes, oh, Boaz, he's one of those. He's one of our closest relatives. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And so Naomi and Ruth hatch a plan in chapter 3. Whoops, that's not Ruth. Put my bookmark in the wrong place. Give me just a second. Where, 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 where would I find Ruth again? Ah, oh, yeah, okay, good. See, now you guys can go home and say, oh, you shouldn't have missed church. I learned that Ruth was right after Judges. Okay. Anyways, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a place, a big open place, where they would go and, and thresh their, their harvest, right? Which means... Uh, with, uh, with some sorts of grains and things, you have sort of a chaffy part, a light, feathery part, and then you have the grain itself, which is heavy and dense. So you'd throw the stuff all together in the air, and the wind would naturally take the chaff somewhere else, and the grain would fall there, and you'd have the grain separated from the chaff. Jesus uses this analogy later in, uh, a couple times, I think, in the gospel stories. And so in this situation, this tribal cultural situation, uh, uh, Boaz is doing this among uh, several other families who are doing it too. And so they'd have this big open space because they need the wind to blow the chaff, and they'd all be sharing that big open space, but they'd have their pile of stuff. So Boaz is in this moment where he's doing that work, and then he's going to have to stay there and protect his stuff overnight. Because remember, time of judges, it's not a given that other families, even though they're relatives, are going to leave your stuff alone. He has to stay there and protect it and ensure that everyone knows that it's his. So Naomi knows this. Naomi knows that he'll be on the threshing floor. And um, so verse 3, Now do as I tell you, Naomi says to Ruth. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. 
And so here's the plan that Naomi and Ruth hatch. Did my microphone just go out? There it is. Here's the plan that Naomi and Ruth hatch. Take off your widow clothes. <laughs> Stop. Time to turn the page into the next season and go let Boaz know you're available. And uh, there are definite themes and a motif here that Ruth might have some desperate attempts to influence Boaz in this situation. But I love what she says, and it's so key and important to the story. She says, do what Boaz says. And Boaz never chooses to take advantage of this situation, according to the story. So it's beautiful. And that's just another piece of evidence that Boaz is an exceptional person of extraordinary quality and character. But this is the plan. Go, Ruth, and let your kinsman redeemer know that you are ready to be redeemed. And so she goes, and she meets Boaz that night. He's threshed, and at midnight, uh, he wakes up and sees Ruth at his feet. And he says, what? What are you doing here? Why, why, Why is there a woman at my feet? I don't understand. Who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth, she says in verse 9. Uh, Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. And you see uh, Ruth sees that. She knows that. She understands that concept. And I love Boaz's response, verse 10 and following. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. Boaz is like, I'm old. Why do you want these old dried up (laughs) bones, you know? It's like, there's not much hope for you with me either, but you've gone after me because of my kindness, and that's a blessing. And he he continues, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. That's what a kinsman redeemer does. He does what's necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, kinsman redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I'll talk with him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. So lie down here until morning. This story really revolves around this beautiful picture of redemption and this beautiful picture of belonging to God. And I just love this connection because you know what it's like to be redeemed, don't you? So many of you do. This is a beautiful foreshadow of what Jesus is to do with you. To lay down his life. To slam his checkbook down and say, despite everything you might think or any limits of humanity, I'm here to get what's mine back. That's who Boaz is to Ruth. A kinsman redeemer. That's who Jesus is to you. A kinsman redeemer redeemer. So I think the lesson this morning, right in the middle of this service, is to shift gears from understanding what does it feel like for me to belong, and I want us to start thinking about what, is it, what should I do now that I am belonging? And, and the answer is to be like Boaz to Ruth, or be like Jesus to you, to other people, to go and get who Jesus has come to save. Go and get who Jesus has come to save. That was the mission he gave his disciples. One of the last things Jesus said, Matthew 28. Put that up, Mike. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I give you. And be sure of this, 
Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mission church, as a part of this church, what's your part in God's church? It's nothing less than this, to go and get who God has come to save. That's what redemption is. When was the last time you took a step into that mission? For some of us, maybe it was yesterday or this morning. (laughs) It was as simple as, hey, come to church with me this morning. I know for a fact someone did it yesterday. For some of us, it might be, have been a while since we went and got who Jesus has come to save. We are depending on Jesus, y'all, but he is depending on us too. We've got to do what we can while God does what he will. Amen? And the message of this redemption story from Boaz to Ruth is that we look at Boaz and what it truly means to belong to the people of God is not to focus on your own stuff, your own field, your own harvest, your own family, but to go and get who Jesus has come to save, to be a kinsman redeemer, to lay down your checkbook, to lay down your life, to lay down your time, to lay down your calendar, to do what God is calling you to do, to go and get who Jesus has come to save. To that end, I have a suggestion and an opportunity for you this morning. The worship team has talked about this plan for a while. Ah, and Dad, I, mean, I forgot to bring one up here, so I'll come down. The worship team's been talking about this idea for a while. And it used to be, you know, you remember the days when we had uh, pads or your church had a pad and you passed it down, you know, and all that stuff. So, but we, we said, I don't even remember what the origin of this was, but we'd love to get people who are missing back. You know, just let them know that they're being missed. You know what I mean? And we actually had some cards like that at some point because they're back there in the, in the old church office. But I've updated those cards and uh, renamed them and branded them with our new logo and everything. Uh, and it's this yellow card in front of you. You'll find it in the, in the Bible and uh, hymn pew part uh, called a reconnection card. And here's how you use this. You write your name at the top and then the second box is an opportunity for you to write the name of someone who right now just Consider the people next to you, the people around you, who's not here. Just someone that you'd like to reconnect and let know, well, you were missed today at church. And it might be someone who's just out because they're traveling and they're just missed this week. It might be someone who's never stepped foot in this church, who doesn't even know anything about this church. You really can't do this wrong. (laughs) Because here's here's the beautiful thing. Jesus came to save everyone. All nations he sent us to. It's literally impossible to write a name in this box that is not someone who Jesus has come to save. So even if you're just visiting for the first time today or if you've been here for three or four generations, this is a task for you. And this is just a simple little opportunity for you to go and get who Jesus has come to save. Just to write a note and say, hey, we missed you. I hope your travels were safe. Hey, I know you don't come to church. You're my neighbor. I see that you sit out on your porch all morning or whatever. And, and I just want you to know I love this church. And, and, you know, maybe just leave it at that. Whatever you want to write, that's, that space is blank for you. And here's the other deal. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you right now, you know what? A note's kind of silly. <laughs> a note's a half measure. And so I want to send that person a text message. I want to give that person a phone call. I want to have coffee with that person. I want to go over and visit that person. You go and you follow the Holy Spirit, amen? You'd never hear me say, don't follow the Holy Spirit or the call of God. But this is a, a, an easy and simple way that everyone in the room right now can connect with someone. 
And uh, ordinarily, we'll have these out, and you can offer these into the offering plate. This is something we will do frequently, you know, as time goes on, and it's something you'll continue to see these cards. But today, the offering's already happened, so we'll have an usher at the back with an offering plate when the service is over that you can fill that out and put that. And here's the deal. We will make sure the person gets the message. And if we don't have their address or their phone number, we'll call you. That's why we need your name. <laughs> and we'll say, here, can you deliver this or can you get the information for us so we can get this to them? And we'll pay for the stamp. We'll, we'll do the work. We'll spend the time to make sure that the people that you want to reconnect with and you want this church to reconnect with are reconnected with. Because, because at the core of it all, to belong to this church means to go and get who Jesus has come to save. By the way, that's what it means to belong to any church, okay? I don't, I don't think I'm saying anything novel right now. To be a part of any church across all time is to do the mission that God has put before us in the Great Commission, to go and get who God has come to save. So we're going to have a couple minutes of uh, piano music, Karen, if you get ready, uh, where you can fill that out. Again, uh, that'll be at the back. Put the whole card in there, okay? There's a dotted line, but don't tear it. That's, we'll, we'll tear it when we're ready to tear it and mail it or whatever, but put the whole thing on there. I know you probably have questions. I have questions too. This is new. I've, we've never done this before, so I don't know, but we'll figure it out. And um, here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. God is good. Amen. And in Boaz and in Ruth's story, the story of redemption, which will just expand and get even better in two weeks, when we come back to this redemption idea. In Boaz and Ruth's story, it's this beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus has done for you. Because he has laid down his life. He has put his whole checkbook on the line for you. And you might wonder, well, okay, what do I need to do? What even can I do? It's a great question. And the answer is, you can't do anything. <laughs> Because he's already done it all. He's done it all. You don't have to be a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to fit in. You have to be the person that God has designed you to be with those exceptional, extraordinary qualities that don't make you fit in, but absolutely help you belong. And Jesus has laid down everything so that you would be that person in his church. And if you're curious about that, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure that's an experience I've had, not something that I, I, I know, I'm, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. The usher will be at the back, but I'm going to stay over here by this door. And, and you're welcome to just come and, and say, I, I'd like to know more about that or have a conversation. We'll start a conversation. We'll get coffee or something. And we'll figure out what that means to encounter Jesus, that Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. And as soon as you realize that, then the urgency to go and get who God has come to save becomes so much real and so much more alive. And so I encourage you to write that note, consider someone who's not here this morning that you're missing, and uh, write them a little note in the next couple minutes while we listen to a little bit of music. Go ahead, Karen.